Good morning. I hope everybody had a good week. No? Okay, everybody had a horrible week. Well, I hope Mother's Day is going well for everybody. I'm glad you're here. Rachel, thank you for your testimony this morning, and um, I had some conversations prior to worship this morning, and that, that's all going to tie in uh, under point number two, so you'll recognize that when it comes. But I um, want to kind of start off with a recap of last week. Last week, we talked about the message of John the Baptist, um, his call for repentance, for people to turn from their sins and toward God. Um, and when that happens authentically, John calls that recognizable fruit. And I just want to give an attaboy to Rachel this morning because that repentance that God caused to happen in her heart caused recognizable fruit. The fruit of the Spirit came out of her and they had a great conversation. And that's the point, right? That's what all of us need in our lives. So John is calling people to live in a way that they're sensitive to God. And in doing so, they're going to be recognized by others as God's people. As the Spirit of God is in us, it is indwelled in us. God's people and, and other people are going to see that. And then lastly, John, when asked if he's the Messiah, he explains that he's not and how much greater the Messiah is than he is. And so today we're going to continue on in chapter 3, and it's going to seem like the narrative is kind of skipping forward a bit. Uh, and I thought it would be good to remind us that even though Luke is telling this in a narrative format, he wasn't there for any of it, right? So if you'll remember, um, and we're going to look back at this in just a minute, he is telling this from the, from the viewpoint of other people's experiences. So as we begin in verse 21 today, if you just know that you haven't missed anything, that this is the next verse. We left off in verse 20 last week. So we're going to see Luke, what we're going to see him do today is show us that Jesus both identifies with humanity and is a part of humanity. And those are two uh, key points, and these are very intentional. So remember, Luke is writing this to a guy named Theopolis. I wanted us to flip back real quick at chapter 1, look at verse 3 and 4, just as a reminder. Luke said, so it also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theopolis, so that you may know with certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. So Luke is saying that he has researched this so that he can be certain of who Jesus is and is now sharing that information with Theopolis so Theopolis can also be certain of who Jesus is. Again, our goal is to know Christ and to make him known. That's what Luke was about. That's what he's trying to do for Theopolis and that's what we want for one another, right? So today in our passage, Luke is introducing Jesus uh, and specifically the first steps in his ministry. So let's read the first couple of verses together. We're going to start in uh, chapter 3, verse 21, and we'll read through 22. We'll kind of break that down a little bit, and then we'll go a little deeper. Uh, so picking up in verse 21, it says, When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You know, I've, I've heard this part of the story a lot before, and, and it's never stood out to me until this week when I was studying. Even when we've talked about the baptism of Jesus before, it didn't jump out at me. Um, but several commentators pointed out that Jesus is baptized by John. And, and we need to ask an important question. Why? What was John's baptisms for? repentance, right? Well, Luke and other biblical uh, writers hold Jesus out as being sinless. So what would Jesus have to repent for, right? That's a good question to ask. It was, it was good for my heart to think about. Why is it necessary? I want to I share with you one of the commentaries that I read this week. It says, uh, it is at first sight puzzling that Jesus, 
should have, been accept, should have accepted baptism at the hands of John, for his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Since Luke depicts Jesus as without sin, it is, obvious why he should, uh, it is not obvious why he should have undergone this baptism. But Jesus saw sinners flocking to John's baptism. Clearly, he decided to take his place with them. At the outset of his ministry, he publicly identified himself with the sinners that he came to save. So this is Jesus' first step in his public ministry. And the very first thing he does is to say, I am like you. He is embracing the humanity that we talked about a few weeks ago. He's already beginning to take on the sin of the world through this action. He had nothing to, to repent of. But he took that posture along with us to show his solidarity with us. He's going through the same experience so that uh, he's going through the same experiences that we are so that he can make atonement for our sin. Sorry, I made it jump around on me here real quick. We also, we talked about this when we went through the book of Hebrews, and we also see John and Paul speaking about Jesus making atonement. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It said, therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the people's sins. And then John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. And then Paul speaks to it in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, where he said, God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. These three biblical authors are all pointing us to the same idea that Jesus has done everything that's necessary for the atonement of our sins. And he's done that in a way that that shows that he is like us in our humanity. That the things that we struggle with, the things that, that Rachel testified about this morning, the things that we all struggle with, Jesus identifies with those things. We're going to talk about this next week when we get into chapter 4. We're going to look at the temptation that Jesus faced. But what Luke is trying to help us understand is the things that we struggle with in life, Jesus also had those same struggles. His response was different from ours, but the struggle was still there. Jesus' actions at this point are setting the stage for what we're going to learn about him over the course of this study. And he came to live just as we do, to face all that we do and to conquer sin and to death. And he is coming to accomplish what we could not. I, I want to I pause for a moment and, and let us think about something. I looked this morning, this is our 19th message in the book of Luke so far this year. And that's a lot, right? And, and to say that out loud and to read that this morning as I was looking at the list of all the messages I preached out of this book, I went, wow, we've been in this book way too long, right? That was my thought. But then as I thought about it more, I want you to think about, is 19 dates too many dates to go on to get to know someone before you decide to marry them? No, absolutely not. Is, is spending 19 days or nights hanging out with a friend too many for you to really get to know them? Absolutely not right? We have spent this time, we spent six months almost learning about the person of Jesus. And here's what's kind of neat is all of this stuff that we've crossed over this far has just been a long introduction into the person of Jesus. It's just like when you want to get to know somebody for the first time, there's a lot of history you've got to cover before you really know a person. This week I was out of town and so several evenings in a row because it's a long movie, I watched pieces of, um, oh shoot, the name just escaped me. It's got the blue people in it. Um, 
Avatar, thank you. I don't know where that went from my brain. But in the, in the movie Avatar, huh? You just dated yourself big time. Raise your hand if you know who the Smurfs are. All right, we're all in the same boat. Okay, there's a few younger people in the room who are like, what? In Avatar, there's this phrase that they say to one another. Uh, they say, I see you. Right? I don't know if you remember that movie or that line, but it comes up several times. And it's not like I see you sitting there. It is I, I see who you are. I see your soul. I see your innermost being. If we're going to know Jesus, that's, that's what we're looking for. We want to, to see him. We want to know him. Today, as we move through this passage, we're going to go through the genealogy of Jesus. And that's one of those sections, I'll be honest, that I want to just skip right over. Right? And, and I'm going to struggle through the names today. We're going to struggle together. And if anybody makes fun of me, I'm going to stop and you're going to have to pick up where I left off, okay? Just so we're all on the same page. But all of this is intentional. In this section in Luke, it would be really easy for us to just read, skip right over that list of names and never give it another thought. But Luke is intentionally laying out the person of Jesus. This is his introduction. Okay, And in this moment of introduction, before we get to genealogy, I want to point out too that God also introduces Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 21 and then moving into verse 22. It says, as he was praying, heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So point number one for today is that God himself says that Jesus is his son. On top of the audible testimony of God, there's also this, the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, which we, we see again, but it's like fire in the book of Acts, right? Now, Luke doesn't tell us that anybody uh, could hear this, but it's obvious that someone told Luke that it happened, right? Because Luke wasn't there. Jesus was not alive to tell Luke about this. John the Baptist was not alive anymore to tell Luke about this because they didn't, they didn't live in the same part of the world at that time. And so it's obvious that this thing that God said, people heard it. Some commentators argue about that, but if you go back and look at the word there, it means to shout. This is an audible thing that God, the heavens open up and, and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We have all the details about this because someone was there and experienced it and told Luke about it. Now, I don't know if you know this about this time of Jesus, and I just learned this this week, but there were about 50 other people during this time period that claimed to be the Messiah. And that was kind of shocking to me. I learned about that in a, a podcast by Matt Whitman. But one of the ways that Jesus stood out from all of these other people that are claiming to be the Messiah is he's got God himself saying, this is the one. This is my son right here. God is proclaiming to those that were present that Jesus is his son. He is part of God's family. And here's the deal, family lines matter, okay? And I want to explain why. We're about to see this in a moment as we move through the text, but I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Who your family is and the circumstances in which they in past generations were raised and experienced, they share with you, they make you who you are, okay? And I want to, I want to break this down. I want us to think about this for a moment because how you grew up, how your parents grew up, how their parents grew up has, has molded you into being the person that you are. 
if we look at the community around us, if we look at people who, who live in continual pro- poverty and hardship, we see this, this happening in a generational cycle. That one generation grows up in trauma and in hardship, and that trauma and that hardship is passed on to the next generation. And it's very, very hard to break that cycle. It can be broken, but it's very difficult. Also, this can happen in the opposite direction. If, if a person grows up in a family that doesn't have a ton of stress in their life, they've got enough money to take care of their needs, typically that's going to be passed on to the next generation. All of these cycles can be broken, but there's always a cycle of some kind. And let me give you a different example. This is a little more personal to me. On the, my family, on the Butterfield side, has only been in the United States four or five generations. Okay, So if you think about that in terms of most people that live here, I'm the new kid on the block, right? But as far back as we can see, and Bethany studied this out a lot, my dad's looked at it a little bit, my little brother's looked at it a little bit, but as far as we can look back in my family, every part of my family has been involved in agriculture in some way. Now, is it shocking at all that that's who I am, knowing that? No. People say things like, it's in my blood, and it is. It literally is. But it's not a DNA thing. It is this person grew up this way, and they raised their children in a similar way, and then they raised their children in a similar way. All of that stuff is passed on. Here's my point. By God proclaiming that Jesus is his son, It is identifying something really important about Jesus' bloodline, about who his family is. Just like agriculture has been passed through my family bloodline, the sovereignty of God has been passed through Jesus' bloodline. This is key. God is not saying, this is one of my creations, and I am well pleased. He says, this is my son. Jesus is the Son of God, and not only did God say it, but Luke also is about to prove it. So let's look at all this together, okay? I'm going to do my very best with these names. This is a struggle for me. Everybody knows it. We good? We're all going to move forward? All right, here we go. All right, verse 23. We're going to go through 23 to 38. It says, as he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old and was thought to be the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mahathat, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph. Son of Matthias, son of Amos, son of Nahum, son of Esli, son of Nagai, son of Maath, son of Matthias, son of Simeon, son of Josech, son of Jodah, son of Joannan, son of Rasha, son of Zerubbabel, son of Sheateliite, son of Neri, son of Malachi, son of Adai, son of Kosam, son of Eldamem, son of Er, son of Joshua, son of Elizer, son of Joram, son of Mathathath, Son of Levi, son of Simeon, son of Judah, son of Joseph, son of Jonam, son of Elikam, son of Malay, son of Meneh, son of Mahathath, son of Nathan, son of David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, son of Salmon, son of Nishon, son of Abinadab, son of Ram, son of Hezron, son of Perez, son of Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Sarug, son of Reu, Son of Peleg, son of Eber, son of Shelah, son of Canaan, son of Aphrext, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Melel, son of Canaan, son of Eros, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Do y'all recognize any of those? A few of them? All right, here's what I wanted to do. When I first said, okay, we're going to go through the genealogy of Jesus, here's what I wanted to do. 
I wanted to go through there and say, okay, what names do we recognize? And let's point out these heroes of faith, this line of, of great people that have led all the way to Jesus. But God didn't let me do that. Most of these names don't mean much to us. But I want you to, to, to know with certainty that those names meant something to the people that heard them, okay? There are a few in there that we can pick out that we recognize, but the most important ones of those are David, Abraham, and Adam. If you go look at the genealogy that Matthew provides, Matthew does it at the beginning of his book, Luke waits till here, they're, they're a little bit different, and there's some, there's one of the major difference is, is that Matthew only goes back to Abraham. Matthew's intention in that is that he is writing his gospel specifically for the Jewish people to say this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah, we can trace him back to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam because he wants people to see that Jesus was for everybody, for the whole world. Luke takes us all the way back to the very beginning, and this is intentional. He is making an important point to show the humanity of Jesus. Point number two is that as the son of Adam, Jesus is related to all people. He's like your first, third, second removed triple cousin, okay? I'm saying that in jest. That's not an actual thing. Here's what I want us to understand. All of us can trace our lineage all the way back to Adam if we had written records back that far, right? That's what we believe, is that God created Adam and Eve, and from them came the whole world. And Luke is, is taking this well-known fact to say that Jesus is a descendant of Adam. We are all descendants of Adam, and that means that we share a common bloodline. All of us can trace it back to there. As children of God, we believe that all humans got their start with Adam and Eve. And even if you don't believe that, Luke certainly knew that his original audience would have. And with that in mind, Luke shows that Jesus isn't just some guy. He's telling us that his history is just like ours. It started in the same place. We have the same ancestors. Another one of my commentators said several features of Luke's genealogy distinguish it organizationally from the lineage in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. Luke's placement of this list between the baptism and the temptations makes the sonship of Jesus the issue since that is the point of both the baptism and the temptation accounts. Can he be the son? That is the question that the audience is asking. Because it goes in reverse order, Luke's list allows Adam's name to be the last human echo before the temptations of Jesus are described. Where Matthew stops with Abraham, highlighting the Jewish interest of, of Israel's founder. Luke goes back to the birth of humanity by God's creative hand. Thus, he shows that Jesus' story is humanity's story. I want to repeat that last line again because it's so important. Thus, he shows that Jesus' story is humanity's story. Back when we were studying the book of Hebrews, we learned that God's redemptive plan or God's redemptive story is our story. We learn to identify ourselves with Christ. We learn that God's redemptive plan is for us. It is our redemptive plan, not because we authored it, because we needed it. It is who we are. We are a people that were created by God, loved by God, and redeemed by God. That is our family history. This is the point that Luke is making and why he shares Jesus' genealogy. He wants his readers to understand that Jesus is just like us. His family history is just as messed up as ours is. You know, today as we've talked about the struggles that we all go through, I had some conversations before church about family life struggles. All of that is the result of a fallen world. We're not going to hash through all of that again. We've been through that a lot when we went through Ecclesiastes. But I want us to recognize that all of that brokenness that exists in the world 
all started with Adam. And I think the reason that God didn't let me go out and point out the heroes of faith is because we need to understand that Jesus' family line is just as messed up as everybody else's. We were all, you and I, born in sin because of the mistakes of Adam and Eve. His transgressions were passed down and passed down and passed down and passed down. Jesus is different because even though he was born in that bloodline, he's also 100% God, right? But he still had the same struggles that we do. This is part of us understanding the humanity of Jesus, is understanding that the things that are in our lives that cause us to struggle were also in Jesus' life. He was not excluded from that. We all have the same origin. I remember, and I'm going to tell this story on the boys. I don't know if they remember this or not, but Aaron was telling me right after... I think we adopted Joshua um, and Amy. They, Aaron had the boys in Sunday school, Aaron Slater. And I don't know what he was teaching on, but he was talking about blood. And, and, and he asked the boys, what kind of blood do you have? And Luke said, I got Butterfield blood. I don't know what kind of blood he's got. <laughs> do you remember that, Joshua? No? Okay. It was, and Aaron was appalled. He didn't know what to say. I don't know if appalled is the right word, but he came out and was like, what do I say that? I was like, I don't I mean, not wrong, right? But here's, here's the thing. Even though my last name and Joshua's last name were different at one point, they're the same now, right? Because we're adopted. And the same is true of the family of God. We, we may be distant relatives, but we're all still connected by the same blood. And that's the point that Luke is trying to make. Luke is tracing, um, tracing of Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam is to prove that God sent Jesus for all people, not just Israel. He did send them for Israel. I heard something else this week that, um, that when people look at the nation of Israel in a biblical context, they think, why would God choose this one specific group of people and just focus on them instead of the whole world? And, and their response to that was, what God was trying to show is that even if I give my favor to a group of people, they're still going to fail. Because people are broken. I want us to remember that Luke's not Hebrew, and this tracing was, in, was as important for him as it was for the Jewish people. And it's an important distinction that needed to be made in the process of sharing the gospel with the rest of the world because it communicates that this gospel is not just for the Jews. This gospel is for everyone. Luke wants us to see that God is going to do something through Jesus that Adam was unable to do. Jesus is the second Adam, and unlike Adam, Jesus is going to overcome the sin so that he can redeem mankind. Another commentator said, in Greek culture, a tracing of such roots would have been done to show Jesus' qualifications for his task. The fact that Jesus is son, God's son would be particularly significant here, even though that sonship is in a context as mediated through Adam. What Luke implies here is explicit in Paul, where Jesus is the second representative of humankind, the second Adam. So that's point number three today, is as the second better Adam, Jesus saves all people. God is doing something through Jesus that, is never, that was never able to happen through any other man. Through Jesus, salvation from sin and death is being brought into the world. Remember, Adam and Eve chose disobedience. They chose sin and death for all of us and Jesus is offering life and perfection for all of us 
Jesus is going to fix the problem. He's going to crush the serpent's head and remove sin from the equation once and for all. This is one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's favorite things to talk about. Let's look at a few passages together. Uh, first one out of Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. He says, So then, as one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedient, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's saying that where Adam failed, where all of humanity failed, Jesus did not. I love him comparing these and saying that through one man, sin entered the world, but through another man, a better man, sin will leave the world. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Our inheritance from Adam is sin and death, but through Jesus, through the better Adam, we will inherit perfection and eternal life. Paul goes on to say later in that chapter, so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. A sec the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we are born the image uh, of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul's pointing out that we share both the natural and the spiritual nature that we have been given by both Adam and Jesus. Paul is making these declarations about Jesus, but he has the hindsight of Jesus' life and death and resurrection when he's writing these things. At this point in the narrative, Jesus is just beginning his ministry and unfolding all that he's about to do. But that is where Luke is leading us. When he's writing this letter, he knows what Paul is talking about. Luke is showing us through this genealogy that Jesus is the son of God. He is the son of Adam and therefore solidifies his humanity. Luke is taking the time to not say, this is some random guy who met with this other random guy who dressed weird in the wilderness and got baptized and started doing all these things. He's saying Jesus is the Son of God, just like you've heard about his miraculous birth. This is the Son of God. But also, we can trace his lineage on his mother's side all the way back to Adam. This is significant. This is like the nail in the coffin kind of thing in terms of the question of who is he? Who is he? He's the son of Adam. We can trace his great-great-grandpa's all the way back, right? As I said at the beginning, Luke is setting the stage for Jesus. But what does that mean for you and I? Why does that matter to us? It means that through Jesus, the cycles of sin and death that we all inherit have been broken. That generational trauma that we all inherit that comes from all the way back from Adam 
has the opportunity to be repaired. God has adopted us into his family. He's broken the cycle of sin and he's redeemed us back to himself. This is the message of the gospel. This is why Luke takes so much time to introduce the person of Jesus because he wants his readers to understand that Jesus is greater than anybody that's ever lived. His bloodline proves it. The testimony of God proves it. And what we're about to learn as we move forward from this point in the narrative is that his life also proved it. So here's where I want us to land with today. As we think about our families, as we think about the the difficulties that we face in life, what Luke wants us to understand is that Jesus faced very similar things. And that through faith in Jesus, through trusting in him, those cycles of brokenness can be stopped. And we can move forward in a new direction. Not because we did something really good, not because we tried really hard, but because Jesus, the Son of God, has the power to do that. He brings life where we used to experience death. Amen? Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for an opportunity today to work through a a text that's typically jumped over. God, I thank you for the, the time that Luke spent to show us that we are all in the same bloodline. Father, I thank you for the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the opportunity that we have been given to experience renewal, redemption, to to be able to move away from those cycles of brokenness. God, I ask that as we we go through this day, through this life, Father, that as we experience those those broken areas of our life, Father, I ask that we we would bring you into those places, Father, that we would give you an opportunity to work in those places. And Father, in those places of our lives where things are really, really difficult and it seems like things could never get better, Father, I ask that you would give us a word on those, that you would give us peace. Father, that you would speak to us in a way that we could never be shaken, that we know that it's you, and that we would trust you to do what only you can do, no matter how long it takes. Jesus, we love you so much, and we're thankful for the work in our lives. We're thankful for the life that you lived so that we could know you so that we could be redeemed and know God in the way that he intended us to know him. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.